Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Amazing. I love, I love those videos. And Pastor James, you, you are rocking that jean jacket. Like that jean jacket, it works. I want to see it on a Sunday. It's coming. I'm believing God for it. Uh, but thank you. I, I don't know about you, but when I saw that clip talking about our crazy church, I was so proud to be a part of this church. I was like, yes, one and three, two and four, who knows, who cares? We're going to figure it out together. It is good to be with you. My name is Bryson. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you, Pastor James, for, for letting me bring the word. I've been loving this series as we're talking about the table and, and how we use tables and how we can see Jesus at our tables. And, and one of the things I love about those videos is we get to see our pastor and pastors around the city coming together at a table and enjoying good food and good friends. And there's nothing like sitting across the table eating good food with good friends. Um, I know for me, one of my favorite group of people to gather around the table is my family. And so I just want to introduce them to you. If you do not know them, they are my favorite thing in the entire world. My favorite people to share a table with, that's my wife, Rachel, and our daughter, Olivia. Uh, and so she just turned one, not my wife, the baby. The baby just turned one. That would be really, really weird. Um, and so uh, then we actually, you can see she's holding her stomach because Olivia is about to be a big sister. And so number two is coming at you in April. Uh, these are my favorite people to share a table with. Because when you share a table with somebody, it's so much more than just eating. And if you're in a place, whether it's a restaurant or, or a cafe, you have an advantage, whether you're Pastor James with his friends or whether you're you and your family or you and your close-knit community, you have an advantage because you know where you're going, right? You get your food and you see your friends and you walk right over there. But have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what table to sit at? Like maybe for you, it was a, it's your break room at your workplace, or maybe uh, if you're a college student, it's the commons, and you just got your food, or maybe it was a conference that you've recently been at, and you, you know how it works, you, you don't have enough time in the lunch break to go off-site to get, you know, your food, so you just go kind of, you know, have the, the meal for the masses, you walk through, there's the box, it's either the sub sandwich, or it's the prepackaged the Lord's chicken, that I dare not say the name on a Sunday, lest you be tempted to break into a fast food chain after service. Um, but it's one of these things, and, and how it works, you, you stand in line with a bunch of other people you may or may not know, and you say, I either want turkey or ham, you kind of go through, and you kind of just get a little, you know, lost in the moment, uh, and, and they give you something that looks like this. They give you a tray. You go through, you pick piece after piece after piece, and whatever the checkout looks like, they finish the, the transaction, whether it's free or paid, and you turn and you look at this sea of tables, and all of a sudden it's like you went in a time machine and you're in middle school once again. You're in middle school or in high school, and all these feelings come back. You go, oh, what table am I going to sit at? And then it goes even deeper. You go, okay, what, what are we going to talk about when I get there? Will they like me? Am I interesting enough? 
will I know about the things they're talking about or will I have to smile and nod? Am I enough? And I think that whether we put words to it or not, the real question that we have is, is there a place for me to belong? And you know if you've ever been in a middle school or a high school cafeteria, it's so much more than just tables. It's so much more than places where people are eating or nourishing themselves. This is social hierarchy on display, right? You have tables over here where people who are passionate about drama or or the arts, they sit over here. You have people who are passionate about sports that sit over here. You have people who are passionate about uh, extracurricular activities over here and extracurricular substances over here. You have people at every table and there's some identifier that they bond over and you wonder where do I belong because each table is an opportunity for acceptance or denial for identification or estrangement and at some point you walk up to a table You put down your tray, and you have some instance of this search for belonging. And it might not look like a cafeteria anymore for you in your situation, but we do all these things to fulfill this search for belonging. Maybe you turn to success in the workplace, and you say, if I just work hard enough, and I just get uh, the bigger office, if I just get the promotion, then I will finally be lovable and belong. Or maybe you turn to social media, and you say, you're constantly looking at your phone because you want to see, will I get affirmation? Will somebody tell me that I'm worth loving? Will someone tell me there's a place for me in this world? Or maybe you identify with a a political party or a club or the PTA or your favorite sports team, but we look for places to belong always. And to take it a step further, you might be sitting here saying, no, 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 I know where I belong. I have a place. Even the places that we think we belong, conditions apply. As long as we follow the rules, whether stated or unstated, we have this place of acceptance But we have to keep the rules. There are conditions, and we have this search in our heart for belonging, but more than just belonging, we have this longing for unconditional acceptance, for belonging without condition. And we've been talking about tables this entire series, and I love the way that Jesus sits at tables. I love the way that Jesus approaches these, and and, uh, we're going to be in Luke 14 today. You can turn uh, your Bibles uh, to Luke 14. It should be about three quarters of the way through the book. Uh, You should be, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you're in the New Testament, uh, then that's where you're going to find that. And and, uh, we can tell that Jesus loves tables, Jesus loves food, because uh, we we sort of have a little bit of a tableception situation. There's a table within a table within a table here. You have, uh, he's sitting at a table, and he uses a metaphor about a table, which leads into a metaphor about a table. So, so many tables, so little time. Here we go in Luke 14. Starting at the beginning, he is sitting down with Pharisees, and it goes something like this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, 
is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Jesus, help us as we study your word. God, would you illuminate things to us so that we can find acceptance and belonging with you and not at broken tables. Amen. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We constantly are looking for belonging at broken tables. And when I say broken tables, I don't mean physically broken. I mean that there are tables that are never going to offer us the thing we truly want. There are broken tables all around us. And the Pharisees happen to be sitting at one themselves here in Luke 14. That They're sitting gathered on a holy day, the Sabbath, uh, and they find themselves here with Jesus, this kind of up-and-coming rabbi. They want to see what this guy is all about because the Pharisees have sort of been on this track of, uh, of really... Hmm. they're taking the Sabbath and sort of uh, building it into something a little bit more ornate. And, and I think before we get too deep into this, the Pharisees sometimes get a little bit of a bad rap. You know, like uh, they can so often play the villain in the story, but when we really look at it and we transport ourselves into Jesus' day, these were people who were just trying to live for God, trying to live holy, and they had a belief that if they would live holy enough that the Messiah would finally come. And so if they would just follow every law, if they would just do everything right, then eventually the Messiah would respond to their holiness and come to save them. And so it's not that they're bad people. They're not trying to exploit people. They're not trying to do, you know, evil things. And yeah, sometimes they're a little shady. Sometimes they do some stuff that's a little off. Like I'm not saying I endorse everything that the Pharisees did, but let's just give them just a little bit of break, realizing these are people trying to live for God. But what they did and where they kind of went left is they started intuiting things in scripture that weren't there. And so they had the Sabbath, which is the day of rest. Every seventh day, uh, they would, you know, have this time of rest. And the Bible is pretty clear, uh, but also leaves a little bit of wiggle room because the whole point of it is to have a day where you uh, are making a physical statement that life does not revolve around me and what I can do, but God and what he can do. And so Jesus is sitting here, and there's this moment of controversy right? The Pharisees are sitting uh, with Jesus, and they sort of have this, this little moment. They invite someone who's sick or has this disability, and they want to see, is Jesus as holy as we are? What's he going to do? What is he going to do? And so they're sitting there, and there's this test. It's sort of like, have you ever seen the show, What Would You Do? They kind of, you know, put together, you love, what you, I used to that really quick. You love, what would you do? They set up this scene. They set up this scene, and usually it's some injustice or kind of taboo thing, and they want to see what the people uh, around are going to do for a stranger or, or whatnot. Are they going to intervene? And so they're playing this game, what would you do, inviting this person, uh, and there's suddenly a challenge to what they believed was the law, the holy way to live. Jesus, he even kind of does a Jedi mind trick saying, is it lawful for me uh, to, to heal someone on the Sabbath? And he goes and does it anyway. And so these 
of people, these Pharisees have added all these rules, sorry, not added, intuited uh, all these rules that, that really weren't there. And so Jesus then is breaking a rule that in some ways they made up. And this causes a little bit of a scene, but I think about as easy as it is to distance ourselves from that, what do we do when Jesus breaks rules that we made up? What do we do when Jesus breaks rules that we made up? Maybe you resonate with some of these rules that are extra biblical. If I'm a good person, bad things shouldn't happen to me. If I perform religious tasks, God has an obligation to do what I asked him to do. If I mess up, God takes a break from loving me and there's a point where I've gone too far to be redeemed. Jesus endorses my belief systems and preferences. What do you do when Jesus breaks the rules that we made up? What happens when he doesn't? What happens when you're doing your best to to live right, to to be a good person, and things don't go your way? What happens? uh, What happens when we have to come into this uh, collision of what we believe to be the right thing and Jesus saying that there's a greater truth? When we were growing up, uh, I'm one of four kids, and uh, both of my parents are educators, and I think they're watching right now. Mom, Dad, I love you. They're in Washington State. Uh, And so, you know, there are ways that looking back uh, that we found fun things to do that just were a little bit more cost uh, effective, cost efficient. And so w- my dad took us one time uh, on a whitewater river rafting trip, which was fun, me and my brothers. Um, and it was in January. Um, you can kind of, I-, I guess, get a discount if you go <laughs> whitewater river rafting in January. And so we go, uh, and we're getting the, you know, the, the lowdown from the instructor, and he's saying, okay, do this, don't do that. You row like this, you listen here, you, you, know, you do A, B, and C. And one of the really important things is, if you fall out, wave your hands like this. And if someone else falls out, do not jump in and get them. Do not. And so we're going, having a good time. Whitewater River after, here's number one. All right, we made it. Why about a river? Okay, here's number two. Okay, we made it. And then there's um, a, kind of a, a really, really big one. And I'm, I think, about 10 at this point. And, and so, as you can probably guess, to make a long story longer, I, I fell in. And so, you know, I was inexperienced, pretty crazy river. I'm going down. And I'm doing my thing. I'm waving my hands. And all of a sudden, as I'm bobbing up and down in the water, I see the raft that uh, my family is on. And I, I swear, I don't know if this is completely accurate or not, but what I saw is my dad running and jumping into the water. I mean, like he's a lifeguard, like action figure status, and just going straight over to me. And so eventually they rescued both of us, but he came all the way over. But this is incredibly important. There was a rule set up by a company, but there was a greater truth at play. The rule said, you have to do it this way, But a greater truth was when my child's in danger, I'll do anything to save them. 
So Jesus is bringing us into this whitewater river rafting moment, seeing uh, God's child in danger, saying, I'm going to do anything I can to save him, to change him. And the Pharisees start, they, they don't like this very much because they'd intuitive all these extra rules uh, that uh, they had said, no, 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 I've been doing the right thing. I've been living the life that I should live. I've been dotting every I and crossing every T. But Jesus is showing us that that is not the way to our ultimate belonging. That our religiosity is not going to fulfill the longing that we have in our heart. And every time we take our tray and put it at that broken table, this hollow sound comes up because it is not fulfilling the longing that we have. Don't look for belonging at broken tables. He goes on to a parable about another table at the wedding feast. It says this in Luke 14, 8 through 11. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But... When you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we feel like we're being overlooked, our first reaction is often to make ourselves seen. And that's a risky place to be. Have you ever been in that position where somebody else is getting considered for the promotion that you think that you deserve? Or been in a situation where uh, someone is actually that you're, you're wanting to pursue is interested in somebody else? When we feel overlooked, we have uh, our, our first reaction so often is to try and make ourselves seen. And this is what he's addressing right here. If the first broken table is depending on our religiosity and our ability to do everything right, this second broken table that he's identifying is our, uh, our, our, our tendency to be self-promoters. Our tendency uh, to, to say, if I could just grind enough, hustle enough, and if I could just burn the candle at both ends, if I can put in the extra hours, then finally somebody's going to celebrate me. But until then, doggone it, I'm going to celebrate myself. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to stab whoever in the back. I'm going to cut anybody's throat to get to the front because doggone it, I deserve it. Have you ever had these thoughts? Don't they see how hard I'm working? Have you ever had the thought, don't they see that I'm the one that deserves this? If they're not going to offer me that prize seat, I'm going to take it for myself. We have an amazing congregation. I love the people in our church. And just one uh, person I wanted to talk about, I won't share his name, but uh, I was just texting with him a couple weeks ago, and I've been talking with him a little bit. And right now, he's, he's new-ish to town, and he's working a job that, that and I would say is, is a more humble job. And it's uh, a little bit, some would say, beneath his, um, his uh, qualifications. Uh, but he's here, and he's serving it, and he's saying, you know, this is putting food on the table until I figure something else out. 
And so every day he's walking into this role saying, you know what, I'm serving Jesus today. Like I'm, I'm here, and yes, it might not look glamorous on the outside, but I'm here serving Jesus today. He was telling me a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, I overheard um, my, my coworker talking to my boss, and they were talking about me negatively. And, and it was stuff that, it wasn't just negative, but it wasn't true. And as a matter of fact, my coworker was taking credit for things that I've been doing. And so I'm really looking bad in this conversation that I'm overhearing, and they're looking really good. And as I'm about to say, as a pastor, I'm a pastor, ordained pastor, I'm about to say, you know, you can talk to your boss and clarify some things. You know, like, I'm not saying, like, throw him under the bus, but just you can clarify. Like, that's okay. He says to me, he says, but I know that if I humble myself, God's going to exalt me. I know that if I treat this as a moment of worship to God, then he's going to take care of the rest. And so he's walking through this job, and he says, you know, I get there, and I pray, I say, God, be honored as I sweep the floors. God, be honored as I, as I clean things up. God, be honored in the way that I do this. And, and I'm trusting you. I'm not going to get entangled in the drama. I'm not going to get, you know, uh, up in the, the self-promotion. I'm not going to go, uh, you know, stand up for myself in that way that looks like I'm seeking attention. But instead, I'm going to treat this as worship because if I humble myself, you're going to lift me up. And he says in a couple of weeks back to me, he said, you know, I remember that I was telling you about that. Uh, and I got called into the, the boss's office the other day, um, and, and I really thought it was going to go poorly because of that conversation, but they offered me a promotion. And so somehow, from point A to point B, he said, you know what, just as it says in Luke 14, verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Maybe you're in a situation at work right now, or in a relationship, uh, a friendship, or, or whatnot, that, that you find yourself maybe getting a, a little push to the side. You feel like you should be getting more attention than you're getting. You feel like you deserve something. I think that might be a word for somebody today, that if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted exalted, that because when we exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled. When we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. Don't take the bait and don't try and find belonging at a broken table, because when you do, this sound will always be hollow. Don't look for belonging at a broken table. Jesus gives us just one more table Table number three, so if true belonging can't be found in our religiosity and it can't be found in our self-promotion, he gives us this parable of a great banquet where uh, this, this ruler or this host sends his servants into the city to, to bring kind of the, the first tier of people. It says he invite, you know, pretty much my rich friend, my rich uncle, you know, the person who's really popular, get them all to my house. And, and they all say one by one, no, 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 no. And, and then he says, okay, let's change the game plan. I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the deaf, the lame, the blind. I want you to bring them into my house. And Jesus sums up kind of the moral of this story. He says this in uh, Luke 14, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do... They may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. 
But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. You know what's hard? Investing in people. And you know what's harder? Investing in people who can offer you nothing. How many motives do we find in our hearts that I can find in my heart? So the strings that I attach to relationships, that they're just in a way that there's conditional belonging that we're a part of. I want to offer conditional belonging to the people around me, that sort of a I scratch you, your back, you scratch mine situation, that I know if I just put an investment now, I can withdraw later. We have this mindset that uh, if our belonging doesn't come by our ability to do everything right or or by our ability to self-promote, then surely it can come in our relationships. Surely if I associate with the right people, if the people see me on Instagram tagging the right people, if people see me at work sitting at the right table, if people see me at the networking event networking with the right person, surely then... I'll be able to fill this longing for belonging that's found in my soul. But Jesus is saying it's not going to be found in your perfection or religiosity. It's not going to be found in your self-promotion. It's not going to be found in your uh, networking abilities. We try and find belonging at broken tables. And so I think about how Jesus in this series and beyond sits at table after table after table after table, and somehow he just belongs. And when I think about how I want to approach tables, I don't want to go one by one by one by one and figure out how to belong at this table and be secure at this table and feel, you know, uh, accepted at this table and one by one by one by one by one. Could there be something that Jesus is on to that can help us not be people looking for belonging, but people offering belonging to others? And Jesus is constantly giving us these cues that as he's walking the earth, there's a greater truth. He he says, uh, you know, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's something beyond what you're seeing. But when the disciples come and he just finished the talk with the woman at the well, he says, I have food you know not of. There's a greater truth that Jesus is living out. He's living his earthly life with a heavenly mindset. And so I I love this. This is a bonus table. Table number four. This table that might be something that could give us a cue to how we can bring belonging to whatever table we find ourselves at. In Isaiah 25, six through eight, it said in that last passage that something's gonna be coming at the resurrection of the righteous, and this is what that resurrection of the righteous can be described as. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. When you understand that you belong at the table that is to come, 
you can belong at any table you sit at. When you understand that you belong at the table that is to come, you can belong wherever you sit. That now, when you have a heavenly mindset, you approach tables different. There is no longer that your belonging comes from the table that's in front of you. Your belonging now comes from the table that waits for you. That when we start viewing our tables, instead of something that can offer us something as a place that we can offer it to others, we start bringing heaven down to earth. We change our, our banquet into a foretaste of the banquet that is to come that we can actually be conduits of heaven coming to earth, that we can be ambassadors of the Almighty, bringing Almighty God into our relationships around the table. It's no longer about finding my belonging in the table that's in front of me. It's finding my belonging in the table that waits for me, that because I know that I'm seated in heaven, in the heavenly places with God, then now it's not about associating in broken tables. Then now I'm the one offering association with with the Almighty God, that when I set my tray down at a table, I'm not setting it down to get something, I'm setting it down to give something. So I don't know where you land on this spectrum that Jesus is walking us through. Maybe you're walking into today because you felt like if I don't go to church today, I'm gonna have a problem with God, that I need to do this, or I'm gonna have to take a week off before I'm back in the good graces of the Almighty. Or maybe you're here and you've spent all week trying to hustle and grind and put in the extra hours to get that promotion, to get that relationship, to get whatever prize you're looking for. And then maybe you've spent this last season of life saying, if I can just make the connection. I think about Nashville, everyone who comes here with a dream that says, I'm just one connection away from my big break. And maybe that's you and and you're just going connection after connection after connection. Maybe one of these places is gonna ultimately fulfill my longing for belonging. Jesus is here to offer us a better way because he offers us a better table. And when we come as people who sit at that table, we become better fathers, better mothers, better sons, better daughters, better family members, better employees, better employers, because we're no longer people looking for something, we're people offering something, and we can approach Thanksgiving differently when we see that we're actually not uh, going there so that we can finally get approval from our mother-in-law. We're not going there so that we can have this perfect experience that if everything's perfect, then finally things are gonna look like they're right again. We're not going there hoping that that family conflict is finally resolved, although we do. We we don't go there uh, in effort to make everything perfect. We don't go there to finally get affirmation from the parent that we never felt like we did. We go there bringing the presence of God to our tables. whatever table you sit at this Thanksgiving, even if you're sitting by yourself, it's not your table. And I pray that we would be people that walk into our Thursday, walk into our Thanksgiving meal with a prayer in our heart and a pep in our step saying, God, please let heaven come here. 
that there would be tables across the city, across the country, and across the world that would pray, not just just this uh, traditional, what are you thankful for, but pray, heaven come to earth and let it start here. If you're sitting in your apartment alone, eating, they say, God, would you come here and meet with me? God, right now we pray for tables. God, we pray that we would have hearts that recognize that you are the great host. And because you've invited us to a table, we can bring your presence wherever we are. God, that our table is not found. Our belonging is not found in the table that's in front of us. It's found in the table that waits for us. Help us live our earthly lives with a heavenly mindset. God, that we're not looking to get something from the tables that we sit at, but we're looking to give your presence and your love to the people around us. God, we take this time. God, we reflect on the tables in our lives. And here in the sanctuary, would you stand with me? And we say, God, would you use us? God, help us be ambassadors. God, help us be table bringers. God, help us walk into this Thanksgiving weekend as people who are a a non-anxious presence. God, people who are diffusers and not agitators. God, help us be people of peace as we walk into this Thanksgiving. Help us bring heaven to earth at the tables that we sit in. God, we even now begin to pray for the tables we're going to sit at on Thursday. Just go ahead in your own mind. Just pray. Think about the table you're going to sit at and pray for it. Pray for the people that are going to be around that table. Pray for the people in your family. Pray for the people that are going to be gathered with you if it's friends. God, uh, would you just invade our homes this week? And would you be glorified? We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're sending us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Come on, give God praise. If I can get my ministry team to come down front. I'm about to dismiss you, but you might have uh, heard that message today and you're thinking to yourself, man, he told me what to do, but I still don't know where to go. You're still holding that tray, looking at the room, figuring out where, I don't know where I belong. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. It's okay. In the body of Christ, we all get into those kind of positions. And that's why we pray for each other. That's why we work with each other. The word is going forth. Now it's the softness in your heart. Let somebody pray with you and break you all the way through. So immediately following the dismissal prayer, if you need prayer for anything, strength to face the holidays, strength to know where you belong, strength to be invited into the Lord's table. Uh, we we want to pray that for you today. And if you're new to Bethlehem and we've never met before, I'd like to meet you over at Guest Central. And finally, as a family, we've been talking about strength all day and where you belong. I want you to know that we want to help you do that. So all the Wednesdays in December, I'll be teaching some lessons that will change your life. Not because I'm great, but because God is specifically ordain some words for you to kind of break you through. And I look forward to seeing you every Wednesday uh, in December. God's going to do something extraordinary in your life. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus.
you would bless all of us, see you, hear you, follow you. Thank you for Pastor Bryson's message. May it be something that moves us closer to you and tears down the walls that separate us from you. Take us from this place, but not your presence. Keep us in the center of your will as the apple of your eye. We'll give you praise for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Give God praise. Any, any prayer needs whatsoever, come on down. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. You gave me mercy. Any prayer needs whatsoever, come on down. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for.